Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. This series will question the assumption that people are psychologically broken and need to be fixed. We will talk about how seeing people as innately healthy will change all of your interactions and outcomes. This is a true paradigm shift, and it simplifies the entire process of dealing with mental distress and allows for more profound and immediate changes. Aloha, and welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. I'm Christine Heath, coming to you from beautiful Hawaii, and I'm here today with my bestie and honestly one of the most brilliant women I've ever met in my life as well as being one of the best friends I've ever had in my life. So I feel pretty darn lucky to be able to do this podcast with her. And she is Judy Sedgman coming to you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I'm all warm and fuzzy because I spent the afternoon at a great symphony concert today. (laughs) And I also want to say, I thought about Chris through the whole thing because there were lots of cute things that happened. The conductor threw a lot of fun little things into the concert and you would have loved it. Oh, I wish I had been there. I don't get, I don't get much culture here outside of Hawaiian culture on the big Island. We don't, we have a little bit of theater from university of Hawaii and one of the community theaters, but um, yeah, that's the one thing I don't get here on this Island. So we're going to go in two weeks for our anniversary. We're going to Honolulu to see Hamilton. Fabulous. Yeah, we got to see it once in New York City, but um, they brought it back and we really loved it. So we're going to go again. Yeah, so that's my theater for the year. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to talk about love today. And uh, one of the things that inspired the book that I wrote with Lori Carpenos, it's called uh, The Secret of Love, Unlocking the Mystery and Unleashing the Magic. And it's really kind of a a book about how to stop looking for love in all the wrong places and getting in the way of you experiencing love for people. And one of the things that Judy and I notice in the uh, people that we work with is that most of the issues that people have when they need help is not in how to deal with their computer or how to deal with their car or uh, things like that. People come to us and they, they're distraught because of trouble that they have with people that they love. Their children, their spouses, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, whatever it is, that that causes more distress to people than most things, which is probably why Sydney Banks really made a big deal with us about how important it was to have a loving relationship with whoever you're involved with in your life. So through the years, I started out exclusively working with women. Um, I didn't work with men at all, except for occasional sex offender, um, which I saw very few of, just like a few, you know, five at the most. So mostly what I was dealing with with women and how they struggled in relationships, how they would put up with relationships that were so dysfunctional and so hurtful and so stressful uh, because they loved that, that person. It was interesting for me at that time, I would always try to get them to extricate themselves from 
dangerous relationships or from bad, unhealthy relationships. And it just never worked. You know, it was very interesting because the harder I would try to get them to see what I was seeing, the harder it was for them to see it. It was, you know, they just couldn't see it. And then they'd get like all pumped up, like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to leave them. I'm going to do this. And boom, they'd be right back with them again. And I, I, I knew there was something missing in terms of what I was doing. I just couldn't see what it was either. Now, mind you, my goal at that time was to find a man to marry so that I could be happy. So it's not funny that somehow I missed that with the women I worked with, because in my mind, I had a thought that if you were happy, you would find a partner in life. And I was heterosexual, so I was looking for a partner that was male and that that would make me happy, that I would feel loved then. And if I felt loved, then I would be happy, I would be secure, and my life would be fulfilled. So I kept looking for love in all the wrong places, which is kind of what we decided to call this episode, because I kept looking for love in men. I kept looking for love in relationships. I kept looking for love to come to me from something in the world, from someone, like it was a commodity. You know, like, let's go down to Target and get a couple of buckets of love and start <laughs> to eat on that like it's ice cream. You know, like if you ate it, got enough of it from other people that somehow you'd feel it inside. Now, what was interesting is I had such a bad opinion of myself and I really believed that there was something innately wrong with me that made me unlovable. I, that's just a belief I had, right? And so it didn't matter really if men loved me because if they loved me, I'd dump them, you know, because I'd think like, what's wrong with this guy that he loves me? I wouldn't stoop so lowly to be in a relationship with someone that was stupid enough to love me. So it was this huge catch 22. I was like, no wonder I was miserable. Didn't matter if guys were nice to me, I'd dump them. If they were mean to me, I'd hang in there because it validated that, there was some truth in the fact that I wasn't lovable and I kept working at making that not be true. And so I had lots of bad relationships and um, I wasn't very happy. So when I learned the principles, when I started to learn that life, that love came from within me, that it wasn't coming from anybody outside of me, that made a huge change in my life because I settled down dramatically. I wasn't so insecure in relationships. And I also wasn't needy. Like I didn't hang in there. It used to always feel to me like if I was in a relationship with somebody, it was kind of like it was the last chocolate chip cookie in the world. And if I didn't eat it, I'd never get another one. So each relationship seemed like this is it. You know, this is the last person that's ever going to love you. So you have to put up with it. You have to make it work. You have to do something to, to, to be okay with it. So as I learned that I was okay, right? So I started to see that my thinking about myself was creating this insecurity. Then I realized like, oh, men don't make me happy. Relationships don't make me happy. That's, that's on me. That's in me no matter what. So 
I, I ended up and ending the last relationship that I had. And it was an amicable end, which was unusual for me. But I moved to Hawaii. And um, when I got here, I thought, you know, I'm really sick of dating. I'm sick of it. I've been doing this for five years. And um, I'm just sick of doing it. So one of the things that um, I did was just decided, like, you know, I only want to find somebody that wants to live in a beautiful feeling. If I can't find somebody like that, then I really don't care because I'm totally happy the way I am. And that took such a relief out of me that I had to get something to feel better, to feel love, that it freed me up to feel loved. And when I was walking around in this feeling of love more of the time that wasn't about anybody else, that's when I met my husband. So it was kind of interesting because, you know, he wasn't the, the guy I was looking for, but he was definitely a person who actually, I think, loves me as much as any human being and that's ever known me. And including my parents, like he was just, he's just able to love at such a deep level. And I feel really grateful for that. But it was interesting that that's what happened when I stopped looking, when I was content and really let go of that insecurity, how the man, in my case, of my dreams walked into my life. But that's kind of the way it is with everything, is that love is, comes from within us. Yeah, I love your story. <laughs> as many times as I hear it, I always love it because uh, people find that hard to believe. You know, when people are, are stuck in their needy, phase thinking, oh, you know, I just got to find the right man and then I'll have the perfect, you know, children and family and little white picket fence or whatever. Or I've got to find the right same sex partner and then I won't feel so alone in the world and so misunderstood and whatever it might be. The people that they have this idea that they're not complete. So it's not just that they don't see, it is true that people like that don't see that love that comes from within, but they also think that love you know, there's all this music about love, you complete me and love, you know, if you just love me, my life would be like a dream and all that. So we kind of grow up listening to all this romantic hogwash and and, and then we get to, you know, puberty and, and we get insecure about ourselves anyway. And then we get insecure about, is, is anyone ever going to like me? And then is anyone ever going to love me? And then we start making mistakes in life. And, you know, it's a funny... I mean, I've had sort of a different experience from you because um, I was married for 20, almost 25 years to somebody who was a nice person, but very, uh, was kind of using, I don't know, I, I was a prof, let's put it that way, to his life. And, um, and he didn't have too much interest in my life. And I was... Uh, increasingly independent because I had to be. And, and I thought, Oh, well, that's how it is. And my job is to hold up the household and do this and that, and, you know, run a business and do whatever I was doing. And his job is to do what he's doing. And that's how it goes. And then, um, you know, it, we had an amicable split after I learned, after I learned the principles, which was kind of unusual, but, uh, I don't think it would have been amicable before, let's put it that way. So it turned out to be a very, you know, pleasant. We remained friends. 
um, you know, for years and, until he passed away. But um, what I realized is that I was okay by myself, that I didn't need anything. I found what Chris was talking about. I found this feeling of being at peace and, you know, loving life and loving just getting up in the morning and looking out the window and getting another day, so to speak. And, and I just, uh, I wasn't looking. And um, now, you know, had I stumbled into somebody, I guess maybe I would have ended up with another relationship. But so I've been single for a long time and um, haven't, you know, haven't minded. And sometimes when I talk to clients, they say, well, you couldn't possibly understand me because, you you know, you're just a spinster. Well, I don't think of myself as a spinster because to me, a spinster is a lonely old woman that is bitter. You know? <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm old. I, that's true. But I'm not lonely and I'm not bitter. And I don't feel that, you know, nobody could possibly love me. I don't have those thoughts. I just feel like, you know, I'm very happy in my life and I have the same feeling I'm very drawn to people that are also at peace and happy in life. And I have a lot of friends and, and um, I really do have a life of my dreams. It's fine. Now it would have been nice having a partner too. It just didn't happen that way, but it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You, you know, your life kind of works out. And the thing is, uh, and it's probably also true that if I were paying attention, it's not like nobody was ever interested in me. It's just that I was happy and busy and, wasn't paying attention but the thing that I see with my clients and my heart goes out to people that are like well you know I just don't think anybody will ever love me you know and then they go back and say you know my father didn't really love me or my mother was mean to me and they always got coming up with a million reasons why they're unlovable and they don't know love and I had you know have clients that have told me well I was with this man and he was an he was an orphan, and he he was raised by you know a family that didn't really care about him that much, but they felt obligated to take care of him. And he doesn't know how to love. Well, the fact is, we all know how to love because we were all born into the world as loving little babies. Love is very natural. What isn't natural is codependency and uh, need. You know, saying, okay, I got to have this or I won't be happy. I got to have that or I won't be happy. And I think people who come to realize that we don't need anything. We want things. But, you know, we don't need anything to be happy. We can be happy with a little. We can be happy with a lot. We can be happy with this person. We might be happy with some other person. Uh, we can be happy alone. We can be happy in a group. We can be happy at a party. We can be happy on the beach by ourselves. It's, happiness is a is a joyful feeling just to be alive, and it's an it's it's not um, and you don't have to look for it because it's already there. You, you know, is I, I just was wondering if maybe you could tell a bit more about how our conditioning. Um, affects us in terms of kind of the unconscious way we do life. Well, that's true because we, we well, first of all, conditioning is, you know, we're, we're being conditioned all our life, we say, but actually what we're doing is we're taking some people's thinking more seriously than others. And, and really what conditioning comes from, it's like, um, like in, in my 
growing up years. My mother was a traditional housewife. And she was very happy just being my father's wife and taking care of the house, which she did immaculately and exquisitely. And she was beautiful and she always looked lovely and she was a good cook and she entertained our friends and she had friends and she just didn't want anything more. And so when I was growing up, she, uh, she didn't like me to be so ambitious. She, you know, she got, you know, like, it was really funny. Like if I came home with straight A's on my report card, my father would be very pleased. And my mother would say, oh gosh, Judy, you know, you don't have to study so hard. I don't think you're having enough fun. Plus boys don't like girls that get straight A's. <laughs> so I was getting mixed messages, which I managed to ignore both of them. But, but, but you know, that's, but we do get messages growing up. We get messages about how, how adults live. And when we do that, then, you know, we call it conditioning, but what it is is just taking thinking seriously that you've seen going on around you or heard other people saying for so long that it starts looking like the way it is. And then, you know, as it, you know, you could, depending on the, where you went to high school and who your friends were growing up, you know, you start getting, insecure about am I in the right clique or am I with the right people you know this person won't have lunch with me you know I can't play sports you know you start developing all these insecurities and then that becomes part of your self-image but see self-image is is uh, negotiable in a way it's it's you don't have to believe it just because you do and how I found that out is because when I was when I was in junior high school my mother had a very glamorous friend who was over at our house when I came home from school one day and she and my mom were in one part of the house and I went down the hall to my room and I don't think they even heard me come in. And I overheard my mother's glamorous friend say to her, well, it's a good thing Judy studies so hard and gets good grades because she's not very pretty and she's not very sociable and she's probably not going to have a lot of friends. And my mother didn't say anything. Now, you know, in retrospect, my mother was a person who would never argue with somebody. You know, she wasn't going to get into an argument with her friend about whether I was doing what I was. She just changed the subject, which was what my mother did to keep the peace. But I was like, well, she, my mother must agree because she didn't say anything. And so I went in the bathroom and looked in the mirror and I thought, yeah, you really are kind of plain and you are a nerd. And so I went all the way through high school as a as a plain Jane nerd, you know, I was like, to give you an example of how bad that was, I was president of the Latin club, you know, so it's like, you, you must be kidding me, but when I went to high school, we had to take Latin, and, I mean, I did some other things too, but that was kind of like the, the pinnacle of my nerdiness, but, you know, I, this one summer, I guess this summer, my junior year in high school, I worked in New York and, um, and I was, and I had to walk past Macy's on my way home every day. And at that time, Macy's was like a thing. It was really special. And I would walk in there. Of course, I couldn't afford to buy anything, but I would walk through, you know, just look at everything. And so I was going by the makeup counter one day and I noticed that the, one of the people wasn't very busy. She was just standing there. So I walked up to her and I said, um, I can't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really just a student and I don't have enough money to buy any of your products, but um, I was wondering if you would make me up and show me how to put on makeup. 
And she said, yeah, sure. She said, you know, we sell products because people watch us putting makeup on other people and then they get interested. So that's fine. You can be my model. And like like I say, she wasn't doing anything else. So why not? So I sat there in the little stool, you know, and she showed me how to put on makeup. And she put all this, you know, it wasn't a lot, but she just put makeup on me and she shows me in the mirror and she says, you know, you really are a pretty girl. She said, you know, and what you need to do is, you know, emphasize this or whatever, just little things. And I was like, wow, I do look better. <laughs> and so I went, to, I ended up going to the drugstore and buying makeup. But, you know, nonetheless, I learned something. And then I thought, well, um, I'll go back to Macy's and talk to the people in the women's clothing department. It just occurred to me, these people want to sell stuff to somebody. So they'll talk to anybody if they're not busy. So I learned a lot about fabric and what fits certain body types and, you know, what, you know, what, what the girls are wearing now, which I had no idea because I just wore skirts and blouses. And so so I learned all this stuff. And then the summer that I was going to go to college, I thought, okay, I'm going to college. I don't know anybody in the college that I'm going to, I'm going to totally, big group of strangers they don't know I'm a nerd they don't ever have to know I'm a nerd maybe I'm not even a nerd you know and I thought I'm going to be a different person in college I'm going to be sociable and outgoing and I'm going to make friends and I'm going to do stuff you know because I'm tired of being the nerdy president of the Latin club so (laughs) I went to college and all I did was change my mind about myself I just dropped a lot of conditioned thinking and made up some other stuff, you know, which is what we can do our whole life. And I always I try to teach this to my clients that are struggling to get out of a bad relationship that's left them feeling insecure and unhappy about themselves, is that that's just thinking that you've borrowed from your bad boyfriend you know, or, you know, your uncaring aunt or whoever. And you don't have to, that, that's just thought. You know, because inside all of us are beautiful and and perfect. And that helps. Like one of the things in uh, psychology is that it um, came, came up with this word called learned helplessness. That women that are in relationships with men who are controlling and abusive, um, like learn that they're helpless. Well. The thing about that, when you tell somebody that they're helpless, is you're seeing them as helpless. Like you're looking at the the situation through their eyes. And when when we start to see that love isn't about somebody else, it provides us with the help you need. So you know where to go to do whatever you need to do to make your life different. Wisdom and and common sense is built into everybody. But if you have thoughts that say that you're stupid or like like you had thoughts that you were a nerd and that you weren't pretty, which is really ridiculous. But at the time, I mean, I'm sure you were a little nerdy, but, you know, the president of the Latin club, that's a little nerdy. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but in, you're so always been so joyful and happy. And that's really what is the feeling of love coming through you. So you can be any kind of person you want to. And you can feel love for life and enjoy people that you're with and enjoy uh, uh, relationships and also use your wisdom and common sense. 
But when you have thoughts about yourself that are negative and that those thoughts in, get on your eyeballs in a sense and distort how you're seeing things, then it looks like it either in, like a lot of women that I work with, it's like if a guy likes him, like, okay, you like me? Okay, I'll have sex. You know, it's, it's like no, no power or decision making because it looks to them like, this is the last guy in the world. And if I don't do what he says, or if I don't do, if I'm not with him, I'll never find another one. Especially if he's cute, like, who, how will I ever find one that's as good as this one? Right? But we just get caught up in looking at the illusion that our insecure thinking creates. So it looks like that's what you should do. Like I grew up, my dad ran a theater. I went to all the 1950s movies, which were all about, you know, women being treated in very controlled way by men. And it was really, it was sad. It was, but I'm telling you, man, that got in my head. I was looking for a movie star to swoop in and make me feel like this beautiful, worthy person and, and marry me. Because that's what we thought. We thought when you grow up, you get married. So I remember in my mind, I was um, uh, went through college. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get married when I'm 27. And then I'll have my first child when I'm 29 and my second one when I'm 31 and that'll be good. So then I got to be 27 and there weren't any, you know, takers around. So I thought, okay, well now I'll get married when I'm 29. I'll have my first child when I'm 31, my next one, I'm 33. So now I'm like 29 and there's nothing. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm running out of time here, you know? And <laughs> it, it it's just amazing though, because I was just like, where did that come from? Like, I don't, I didn't need to get married. I didn't need to do any of those things. Now, that's not saying that having a partner in a long-term relationship isn't a wonderful thing, but it's not the answer to happiness, let me tell you, because otherwise I would not be in the business of doing marriage and family therapy, because let me tell you, just finding someone and marrying them does not make you happy. You have to find that within yourself and not let whatever beliefs you have about how you should be get in the way. And one of the biggest thoughts that people have is like, but I love him, you know, but I love her. But, and so we keep going back into these relationships because they're operating from their um, beliefs that somehow this is the perfect person for them. Let me tell you, there's a lot of soulmates out there. We're actually soulmates with everybody, if you think about it. So when people go, oh, this is my soulmate, it's like, okay, well, you have a good connection. That's great. But there are lots of people to have so to be soulmates with. It just requires you coming from your soul. And then the person you're with comes from theirs and you get this beautiful connection. And that's what's possible for people. So don't get into like analyzing how to, why you are in this relationship and why it's happening and what you need to do to get out of it and thinking about it. It's just going to keep you stuck in that insecure thinking. But if you go to find love within you and you don't make it conditional to anything, you'll be free. And on that note, I think we're going to wait for part two. Chris and I are going to make another part two of looking for love. And uh, thank you very much for being with us.
and we will see you soon or hear talk to you soon at any rate aloha yeah bye We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com 